listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, please take your Bible and turn with me for the 14th time to the book of 1 Peter. This is our conclusion in this book, and it's usually really bittersweet when we're wrapping up a series, but this is a little different because we took a long break. I came back. We've had two sermons here, and then we're going to roll right into 2 Peter. So I'm excited about part two of what Peter has for us. But this has been a, an amazing letter to the resilient and suffering Church of Jesus Christ that, that Peter is writing to. And it's been a power-packed letter for all of us. I don't know about you, but you, if you're like me, have a room in your house that is just the catch-all room, right? Does anybody have this? This is the room where you just don't know what to do with this stuff, so you put it in this, this closet or this room. Maybe it's a garage for you. Uh, but for us right now, we're having a renovation in our house. We're getting like this, this addition put on, which is really exciting. We're really thankful for it. But because we're jostling all these rooms around, our whole house is just turned inside out and upside down and furniture's everywhere and there's construction stuff all over the place. And so over the last like few weeks, we just keep putting everything in, in my wife and I's walk-in closet. It's like my, my soccer cards are growing in there. We have like these boxes of toys, my old shirts that I never wear, Julie's shoes from like that she got 10 years ago. The last time she wore them was nine years ago. Like there's all this stuff is collecting in this room and we don't know what to do with it. And whenever you have that, there's two types of people, right? There's one person who's just like, let's get rid of it, throw it away. I don't even want to get close to that hoarder label at all. It's gone. And the other person's like, well, wait, we could use this later. Somebody else could benefit from this. We could give this to someone. Let's save it and keep it. And both of those two people have great points. I'm not going to get in the middle of that debate this morning <laughs> at all. Uh, you know who you are, though. And the point is, there are places and times in life where we just don't know what to do with something. In a spiritual sense, that is a very real thing. When you have had something affect you, you've had somebody say something to you. Maybe it's an emotional situation. Maybe it's a relational situation. And there's just circumstances where I don't have a place to put this. Why did they say that? Uh, what was possibly going through their mind when they did that to me? So for all of us here who don't really know what to do with the current situation that you're in, and it's causing present suffering, right here in the text this morning, there is a three-step formula baked into this cake on exactly how you can rise above that situation. You can rise above victimhood, and you can have victory in Jesus Christ. It's called standing firm in the grace of God in 1 Peter chapter 5. And something that we've seen consistently woven in and out of this entire letter has been Peter's three main themes. You probably can say them with me now at this point because, like I said, this, is, this has been a while. This is the 14th week we've been here, way longer than I thought we'd be here. But we've seen over and over again present suffering, 
living hope that is found in Jesus Christ, and future glory. Peter keeps going back over all three of these things. And again, as he wraps it up here, there's a very important truth that underlays everything we're about to read in the text. Suffering is a part of life, but it is always temporary. And it's there for a reason. It's there for a very good reason. And the way that you rise above victimhood and become a victor in Christ is by standing firm in the grace of God. So would you please follow along with me as I read verses 6 through 14 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The first point today picks up right where we left off last week from verse 5. Point number one is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You see right there in verses 6 through 7. And if you recall last week, Peter exhorted and challenged the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. In hard times, people need shepherding. They need an elder who will sacrifice for them, who will not be cocky and prideful themselves, but that will be sacrificial just like Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, was for us. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And now Peter is building off of what we just heard, and he's adding something in verse 6. Look at it again with me, and, and you can tell me what it is. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. I think I have that on the screen for you, yeah. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So what was it that Peter added from verse 5 now into these next couple verses? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay, we got that. Verse 5, great. Now it's humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Easier said than done, but okay. We do that when we look to Christ, when we see his holiness and we see how, how amazing he is and we see our own fallenness when we do that. In life, we'll, when we're honest with ourselves, that happens. We talked about a lot about that last week and in life groups this week. But it says here, so that the proper time he may exalt you. Did you catch that? Where is Peter going with this? What is his angle right now? If you're paying very close attention, I already gave you the spoiler in the introduction. Suffering is a part of life, but it is always temporary 
if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And this is so practical. It's so common to just want to rush through the pain and suffering and get through it so I can be happy again, right? Want everybody to be happy. Everybody has to be smiling. We can't deal with these problems. We have to just pretend that they're not there. That's, that's what a lot, of people fall, a lot of people fall into that trap. And to be honest, this is what causes a lot of conflict in my marriage with Julie. I like to have everything going smoothly. I like to get things done and solve problems. I want everything to be done decently and in order and for everybody to be happy. So when I do something that's not thoughtful or understanding and Julie brings it up, uh, I can tend to be defensive about that. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? You're going to rock the card again? Like all these good things are happening and this is the one thing that you want to focus on? That's me doing exactly what this text tells you not to do, okay? I don't like it when she's not happy with me, and I don't always respond the best. I want to just solve the problem. Okay, I'm sorry, forgive me, let's move on, let's forget about it, let's just, just put it in the past right now without taking the time and the ownership to learn from the situation. I may even feel the need to point out, well, hey, your timing and your tone here was way off, so... I'm getting more defensive about it. Doesn't help the situation. That never, that never resolves the situation. It tends to escalate the situation. The argument never gets resolved until someone is humble and someone owns their mistake. And I think we can all agree that that's how conflicts blow up. That's how a molehill gets turned into a mountain. But here's where I want you to see something this morning. <coughs> Behind this desire to just get over it, get past it, stop being mad, just please be happy, everybody just be happy. Behind all of that mentality is if your focus is about, I got to get through this now, you're going to miss the growth that is necessary in the growth opportunity that God has put there for you. Do you see that? We live in an instant gratification culture. We try to get tomorrow's fruit without today's growth. And when you do that and you miss that at the proper time, God will exalt you, you end up carrying an extra burden that you were never meant to carry on top of the already burden, the burden that you already have because life, right? So you see this same principle all throughout Scripture. And one very prominent example of that is back in Genesis with the story of Joseph, who, who went from the pit to the palace. You remember the story of Joseph, right? But when you look closely at Joseph's lives, or his life, there was almost definitely some pride involved in the beginning. You know, when you, when you think about that story and how he told his brothers this dream, who tells their older brothers, hey, I had a dream that you bowed down to me. How's that, that going to go over, right? What kind of person would say that? That was pretty prideful, honestly. We're always telling our kids, hey, are you being a problem solver or a problem causer right now? What you just said, is that, is that being a peacemaker or is that, causing some issues with your brothers and sisters. 
what Joseph did there definitely caused some problems. And without a doubt, he wasn't the easiest person to live with. He was daddy's favorite. He was the youngest who's always getting the best. He's the special one. And in the end, he ended up suffering. He's getting thrown in the pit. He's left for dead. And then one of his brothers stepped up and he gets sold into slavery because that's better, I guess, right? Uh, then he's falsely accused of making a move on his master's wife. And then he's thrown into prison. And we're just blazing through this story. There's a lot there. But what was going on all those years in Joseph's life in prison? He was growing in his relationship with God and he was finding humility. He was drawing closer to God. Far too often, we live our lives around the goal of avoiding the pit at all costs. This is like the simple American dream version of life that has nothing to do with the gospel or Jesus Christ or the reality of suffering. It's just like, how can I be happy? What's the fastest way to get this great thing? And I want to avoid all conflict and trouble. What a simplistic way of looking at life. That's not how life works. Joseph didn't walk straight into the palace and become second to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. He actually had to first grind it out for years, faithfully serving God. And eventually, in due season, he was exalted. But you can't skip steps. It's not how it works. If you skip steps, it ends up hurting your soul. I mean, have you ever tried to play a game and just jump ahead to the end game content if you've ever played a game like that? There's one game I've played for like years now, since 2014, okay? And, and if I was to take that character and I was to go play the really hard end game content before I went through the whole trial of like infusing this and going on this mission and, and like building up the right power level, I would get blown away. And I remember when I first started these things, oh wow, I'm just, I can't do this, this is impossible. Oh, you have to go through this first and you have to do that. All right, you have to build up to it. You can pick your game, and I know some of you are grinning out there, so, so I see those smirks. But this is the way it works in anything in life. You can't skip steps without hurting yourself and giving yourself a headache. And spiritually speaking, life is not a game. You're going to hurt your soul if you just try to skip over it and avoid all the pitfalls and fool yourself into thinking that you can just land in the palace with no setbacks. So here's the truth. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Let him exalt you when the time is right. And that takes humility. That takes trust. That's, that's called standing firm in your faith and not taking it on your own. And we have to remember here that God is not on our time zone. He's not locked into our linear timeline where we can only look back and then we have nothing but like a foggy projection of what lies ahead, right? God sees it all. He's above and beyond. He looks down. He sees the beginning and the end. He's controlling and, and, and pulling strings behind all of this. And we do live in that instant gratification culture. We want security and we want it to be good all the time. But our God is the God of the sunshine and of the rain. 
He's in control of the sunny days just as much as the gray days. We have a God who created seasons. We have a God who, who is a God of sowing and reaping of springtime and winter and harvest. Do you know what the only difference is between being buried and being planted? What's the difference? It's just placement. That's really it. If you're in a graveyard, well, then, yeah, you're buried. But if you're alive and you're anywhere else, say you're a living organism and you're put into the ground, sunshine and rain will combine to bring growth. So this morning, I have a quote for you on the screen. If you were in Christ and you were alive in him, he never buries you in a graveyard. It's impossible. Instead, he plants you in a garden. And in your life, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are alive in him. You're planted in a garden right now. So yes, there's going to be storms. There's going to be rain. There's going to be tough things that happen that we don't understand. But he will use it to bring forth fruit. So in trials and pain, remember, you're not forgotten. Even if you feel buried, you're actually planted. That's what you are. And Paul says the same thing in Galatians 6, verse 9. He says, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. And there's still more to this first point. So back to 1 Peter 5. Notice in verse 7, it says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And this is really the second part of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. The direct application is to cast away your fears and your anxieties. Give them over to God. God the Father. Why? Because he cares for you. And, and did you hear that, that verb there, the action verb? It's not just lay it aside, all right, shove it over in the corner for a second where it still can, can come back. No, cast it. Cast it away. The direct translation from the original would read like this. Cast your cares on him because you are his concern. I don't know if you realize this or not, but most of our anxieties are over things that will never happen anyway. It's the truth. This is what I always say, something to this effect. Focus on what you can control and everything that's outside of your control, leave it in God's hands. Just leave it in God's hands. If you are directly responsible, you don't need to stress or worry about it. If it's something you can handle and it's your responsibility, well then great. Lean into Christ, follow the leading of the Spirit, and do your part. He will strengthen you. He will get it done. But if it's out of your hands, just leave it in his hands. That's what we're told to do. Because you are his concern. Not everything under the sun is your concern. You can't handle everything. None of us can. He can. We have this very linear view of the past. We can only just remember the facts about the past, and then it gets distorted, and, and it fades away over time. And then we have this, 
this, this murky view of the future. We can make hypothetical assumptions about it. We can make guesses based off of what we know from the past. But there are always unknown variables that come into play, right? The most we project and plan for the future, we can't know the unknown variable that will hit you in life. There's just no way to know. So we have to plan, plan to know that there will be unknown variables that will come into play. That's why we have insurance and stuff like that, right? The, the only way we can change our perspective of the future is by focusing on our living hope, Jesus Christ, and believing that there's future glory awaiting us that's even better than we can imagine. So cast it on him because he cares for you. You are his concern, literally. You are his concern. And if you think you're in good hands with all state, think again. If you're a child of God, you're in God's hands and no one can pluck you out of the Father's hands. Have you ever had to tell someone, don't worry about this, it doesn't concern you? As a parent, you have to say this like every day, okay? <laughs> every single day. Have a family of six like us, and wow, I can't believe I just said that, family of six. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of us now. But Dawson isn't even, even, even in the mix yet, thankfully, but just with who we have in the home. It's like one kid is in trouble, one kid is being disciplined, you know, usually it's numero uno, and we're having this deep conversation about life, and we're emotionally trying to rationalize and calm him down. And, and what happens? Another kid wants to get in the mix, right? Like, give me a bag of popcorn, Dad. I want to come and sit on the bed and listen to this whole discipline session. And you're like, hey, um, you don't need to be in here right now. This doesn't concern you. And then the next kid comes in. Uh, can you please leave the room? We're having a conversation. This doesn't concern you. Here's the thing. Cast your cares, your anxieties on God because you are his concern. You can't handle it all. You simply can't. He cares. He's concerned about it. Let go of what doesn't concern you and you focus on what God says about you and what God is doing for you. I came across this, uh, this guy one time who, who gave me his phone number. And he said something that you just don't hear anymore. He's like, here's my home phone. Wait, what? You mean your, your cell phone, right? No, this is my home phone. He's, he's, <laughs> he's like, uh, I actually only use my cell phone for emergencies. I, and this guy, I mean, props to him. I know not everyone can do this, but like mad respect. This guy just was like, look, um, I don't want my phone attached to my hip all day, distracting me constantly. Um, I have a cell phone, but it's just for my close family. So it's for emergencies. And when I'm done with my day and I'm at home and if I want to take a phone call, I still have a home phone. So it's like he's living in 1993 and good for him. <laughs> good for him. I'm a little jealous of that. But, but he had this perspective of I'm only going to take a phone call on my cell phone if it's an emergency. And I think sometimes we look at prayer this distorted way where the only time I'm going to pray to God is when it's an emergency. And then I'm going to let all these other 
phone calls and texts and everything else flood my day constantly. Like what, what he said and she said and what they're thinking or what they might be thinking about me. And you're constantly taking on all these other noise on that constantly vibrating phone on your hip and you never even have the time because it crowds out your prayers and your relationship with God. So we can't get this upside down. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let go of all of those things. We need to talk to God about the little things and the big things, not just the emergencies. He cares about them all. He is your dad, and you can run into his arms if you know Jesus is your savior and you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you, your sin, if your sins are forgiven, you are adopted into his family. You are chosen. You're now a chosen sojourner. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That was all the first point. We're going to move faster as we go along. But here's the second way that we transform from a victim to a victor. Point number two Resist the growling beast. There is nothing more sinister than a sneak attack from the enemy after you've been through something difficult. Am I right? Just like you just got through something, you're wounded, you're fatigued, you're tired. Satan knows exactly when to pounce. It's always when we haven't eaten our meal and uh, we've just had a long day at work and that here comes the temptation. Mark it down. Temptation is coming your way. This is why Peter says here, be sober-minded and be watchful. This does not mean that you never joke or laugh. Being sober-minded simply means you be awake to the dark realities of this world. Eyes wide open. Don't, don't kid yourself, okay? The world is evil. There's wicked people. You have an enemy. There's spiritual warfare, all right? We're going to still love life. We're still going to have fun. But we're going to be sober-minded about the reality that this world is not just all fun and games. Peter's speaking to an audience of Christians that are about 10 years away from the gladiator ring, okay? Like, they're about ready. They're already starting to suffer. And similar to where we're at in our country right now, like, pressure is mounting. Um, persecution is starting to ramp up a little bit. Probably going to get worse. It did for, the, for Peter's audience. This phrase, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. In the original Greek, it isn't like exactly roaring lion. I think a slightly better translation would be a growling beast. Peter is writing to these Christians, and they're going through it. And if you stop and think of our adversary, he doesn't really come at us full throttle with a roar and fangs out very often, right? Is he, is he coming at us with a roar very often? Thankfully not. We'd be scared to death and we'd lose our mind if, if, if we saw that. What does Satan usually do? He disguises himself as an angel of light. Paul talks about that in his letter to the, the Corinthians. And I think that matches where the original here, Peter is conveying this low growl like this beast that is stalking and hungry and on the prowl, circling its prey. It's this low and constant, just, just growl. He hates us because we're made in the image of God. He wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to turn us into victims 
of the sin and the darkness of this world. And Peter knows he's, he's ready to pounce. You remember what Jesus told Peter right before his crucifixion. Jesus told his friend, the apostle Peter, Satan is going to sift you as wheat. You are going to deny me three times. Peter didn't believe it. No way. I'm ready to fight. And he did. I mean, at one point, he pulled out his dagger and, and cut off Malchus's ear when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was being arrested. But that didn't last long. Satan wants to devour you. And the truth is, he can only do so much to you. He can't defeat you. He can't kill you. He can mess with your mind, though. He can get in your head. And when you focus on what you don't know and you forget to trust God, Satan's lies are deceptive. And they end up turning you into a victim because you aren't focused on the victory that Jesus Christ has already won for you. And when you're a victim, you can't press forward and do hard things because you feel like you're not worthy or you're not able. And when you get your eyes off of Jesus Christ, again, in another story of Peter's life, just like he did on the water, what happened to Peter? He started to sink when he got his eyes off Christ. That's how the enemy gets you. So be watchful. You be the lion. You be the aggressor. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, by abiding in the vine and walking with Christ, you resist him, standing firm in the faith. Look at verse 9 again with me. Verse 9 says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is a reminder that you're not alone. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's a promise from God. And at the very end of this letter, actually, go ahead and look at the last few verses of this letter, verses 12 through 14, because I don't want to end with that, but, but it does fit right here. Peter is reminding his audience again to look around at their brothers and sisters. You know, he's, he mentioned Silvanus, who's the man who wrote this letter as, as Peter dictated it. Stand firm in it. Verse 13, she who was at Babylon. Why is Peter being so cryptic here? Well, he's in Rome right now. And he's using this term Babylon as a code name for the church at Rome. The church who is at Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. That's John Mark. That's the same guy who went on the missionary journey with Paul. And we, the, the details are fuzzy. We don't really know. We can only assume a few things. But something happened there that Paul did not like, and they actually separated, and they went their separate ways. Paul took Timothy, and then um, John Mark went with Barnabas. John Mark went through some trials. But Peter is pointing out, hey, look, look at your brothers and sisters around you. They're also suffering. They're also sending you their greetings. They're in the same place as you. That church at Rome? I mean, he was already being cryptic with his, with his coding, right? 
Like she who is at Babylon. Like they're already, they're already in the fire. They're already in the fire. As soon as you realize that everyone has had it hard in this life, not just you, the easier it is to trust God. Part of Satan's strategy when he lies to you is he tries to isolate you and get you consumed with yourself. And Peter is sending a very necessary reminder right here, and it fits, fits along with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Everyone is going through stuff. You're not the only one suffering. Don't let the enemy get in your head and don't stay a victim. The devil is crafty. He will lie. He doesn't have to make sense when he's lying. His goal is just to get you riled up or to get you confused, feeling like a victim to the point that you're defeated and you're not doing what God has for you. So here's the truth from this passage. Stop focusing on what you don't know and focus on what you know. Focus on who you know. What does God say about you? Well, what does his word say? Because that's his letter to you. The truth is God loves you. He's chosen you. He has a plan for you. He's going to take you from the pit to the palace one day. Yes, there's present suffering. There is living hope. And there is future glory. So whatever he gave you, whatever comes your way, it's because he cares for you and because he loves you. And it's part of his plan. Don't doubt God's presence. Resist the growling beast. And here's the third action point for you this morning. Number three, trust the God of all grace. Look again at verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here is Peter for the second time, highlighting this amazing theme. After you have suffered for a little while. It's not permanent, it's temporary. It's a part of life, but it's only for a season. And here's what God is doing through it. The God of all grace. You remember that word grace? We talk about this one a lot as well at this church. God's mercy is what he withholds from us, something that we deserve, right? You deserve death. Well, through Jesus Christ, you receive forgiveness of your sins and you don't receive death. Well, that's God's mercy. Grace is the flip side of that. It's when God gives you something that you don't deserve. God gives us all kinds of things we don't deserve. His, mer his mercies and his, his grace is new every morning. The God of all grace, the Father of lights, the giver of every good gift, the one who blesses us in the beloved with every spiritual blessing. The God of all grace will look at these four things. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I love the bookended harmony that this letter has. If you recall in chapter one, this sounds very, very similar to the opening. And Peter is a preacher, after all. Doesn't surprise me that he does that. But just look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verses 3 through 9. And listen to listen how close this is. 
Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that this inexpressible, that that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So here it is again. He who has called you, you are a chosen sojourner right now on this earth. That's not going to last forever. We have present suffering and we have future glory coming. Eternal glory with Christ. So one more time, here it is. What God is doing through that all is he's turning you into a victor. Someone who is more than a conqueror. He is taking defeated, self-consumed, and sometimes even self-loathing individuals, and he's adopting you into his eternal family. And it starts by restoration. He restores you. God makes you whole and he makes you new. He fixes what is broken and he heals what is sick inside of you. He restores you to the person that you were created to be. That happens by grace through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. He confirms you. What an amazing thought that is. Don't we all want to be seen and heard? There's something amazing and empowering about being affirmed. Well, God doesn't affirm you in your sin. But through Christ, he confirms you. God sees you and he hears you and he knows you better than you know yourself. After that, he restores you. After he, after he restores you, he confirms you. Again, he does not affirm your brokenness. He doesn't accept you just as you are. No, not at all. He imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ into you and he chooses to save you and adopts you and make you complete. He confirms you. He doesn't end there. Through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, by abiding in the vine and walking with Christ, he strengthens you. And finally, he establishes you. I think that's what we all dream of, right? Being established. In a physical sense, we all want to have that financial security and get a car and a job. I want to provide for family. There's mouths to feed. I want to get to the point where I don't have to worry about money. I just want to be established. Well, in a spiritual sense, which affects the physical, God establishes you. If you can tell, I, I was preparing this sermon this week as I prepared Dan and Leslie's message at their wedding uh, yesterday. And I said this in Dan and Leslie's wedding and it bears repeating one more time. God loves to take someone who is broken and restore them through the blood of Jesus Christ. He loves to take someone who is uneasy and unsure of themselves 
unsure of their place in life, and confirm their calling and their election. He loves to take the weak to confound the wise, embolden and strengthen and enable you to be more than a conqueror. And he specializes in taking someone who is wavering and searching and establishing them on the rock, which cannot be shaken. That's a promise. We just have to get ourselves out of the way. We have to get our minds and our thoughts off of just our small little view of ourselves and our world in this limited perspective that we can see and trust God. Stand firm in the grace that he has given you. In the midst of everything that life brings our way, you have a living hope. His name is Jesus. He's going to lead all of his children to future glory. Stand up, please. And I want you to think about this while we sing. Where are you at right now? Maybe in your life, it feels like that closet I talked about at the very beginning where you've just jammed all this stuff, just overfilled it with everything you can't deal with. All this stuff, you don't know where to place it. You just don't have, you don't have the ability to process all of this. So you've just shoved it away Cast all your anxieties on the one who cares for you. A lot of those things are not even your concern. You can't, you can't deal with it. You don't, you don't have to know. Just trust God. Take the thing that you don't know what to do with and do what Peter tells you here. Cast it at the feet of Christ. have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.